This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. My name is Kevin. I'm the lead pastor here at Vortex. It's good to have you with us today as we close out a year, right? It's it's one of those moments when I think for all of us, it kind of forces us to look back in, look forward, and to evaluate, and to reevaluate, to try to make decisions. How many of you have already made a New Year's resolution? Raise your hand if that's you. You've already decided this next year I'm going to try this, right? Well, last year, uh, this past year, I turned 40, and at the very beginning of 2016, not really as a New Year's resolution, but because I got in a car accident, and I suffered the first major concussion that I've ever had in my entire life, and for several weeks, I was just out of it. I don't even, I preached those two weeks, I don't even remember what I preached at all. I just about fell off the stage. That's the first time that's ever happened, really. I get, I'm always toes off, but that was a little bit too far. <laughs> I don't even remember why I preached those weeks, right? Um, and so because of that, I, you know, it's, it's kind of in the presence of sickness that you begin to really uh, value health. And so I made this decision that I wanted to be a little healthier. I didn't really know what the decision was going to be. And so that turned 39 at the end, uh, towards the end of that year. And then I decided that by my 40th birthday, I wanted to be in the best shape that I'd ever been in my entire life. I wanted to uh, be uh, kind of physically stronger than I'd ever been. I wanted to weigh less than I'd weigh in a very long time to weigh under 200 pounds, uh, which I hadn't weighed under 200 pounds since I was in my 20s. And so um, I did. I hit those goals, which was awesome and, and made such significant progress. But along the way, something just became apparent on the inside of me that not only was there stuff to work on on the outside, but there was stuff to work on on the inside. And that really what was happening on the outside of me was not just happening on the outside of me. It was a reflection of something that had been happening on the inside of me. Now, I read a lot, and during my summer vacation last year with my parents, I read a book called Present Over Perfect by Shauna Nequist. Um, I highly recommend it. It's an amazing book, especially if you're um, about my age, somewhere in the middle of life. It's her reflection over her middle of life kind of venture and journey. And if you know me, you know that being present is a constant challenge. I, I am not a perfectionist in the classic sense, but I am always worried about what we can do to make something better. And so being present and in the moment is a constant tension and struggle. And I thought, man, this is going to be a great book. I'm going to read this over break. And have you ever just had moments when you encountered an idea and it was so daunting that you knew that something was shifting simply because of that? I read that book, and there's several things that just kind of happened 
inside of me. The first one came from this quote. Many of us, myself included, consider our souls the necessary collateral damage to get done the things we feel simply must get done because of other people's expectations, because we want to be known as highly capable, because we're trying to outrun an inner emptiness. And for a while, we don't even realize the compromise we've made. We're on autopilot, chugging through the day on fear and caffeine, checking things off the list and falling into bed without even a real thought or feeling or connection all day long, just a sense of having made it through. That first line, that our souls are the collateral damage, just kind of rang out to me. It was one of those things that I just knew that there was something inside of me that wasn't right. And then I read this quote, and this is the one that really ultimately wrecked me. Richard Rohr, who's a a psychiatrist, says, the skills that take you through the first half of your life are entirely unhelpful for the second half. To press the point a little bit, these skills I developed that supposedly served me well for the first half, as I inspected them a little bit more closely, didn't actually serve me well at all. They made me responsible and capable and really, really tired. They made me productive and practical, and inch by inch, year by year, they moved me further and further from the warm, whimsical person I used to be, and I missed her. Now, when I read that, I realized that something inside of me had drifted away from what God really wanted. And it's so interesting because all along on this journey that I had been on to become more physically fit, I was learning about something. I was learning about choices. And so I started to read and to Pursue God. I actually went through three months of counseling with my counselor and, and, and then started crying a lot. Now, I don't, I don't know if you know me, but that's, that's something I do every once in a while. But I had like, I had several weeks where it was just like I ugly cried every day. I mean, just ugly crying. So much so that my son at times would come up and be like, Dad, you need me to pray for you? He's four, y'all. I mean... That's a big deal when your four-year-old boy is like, can I pray for you? So I just realized that there was probably something going on inside, but I was learning something that was going to later become very valuable, and I want to share that with you. The, the first thing that I learned is that nothing good happens without a choice without us making a choice. Nothing good happens. Now, there might be some things that on accident happen good, but nothing that lasts that's good happens without a choice. If you want a good marriage, you have to make a choice. If you want to be financially responsible, you have to make a choice. If you want to pursue the career of your dreams, you have to make a choice. If you want to be physically fit, you have to make a choice. 
If you want to be healthy, you have to make a choice. Everything good requires a choice. And those choices typically lead to other choices that need to be made. So if I made the choice, which I did, I said I wanted to be healthier, then it led to the decision of me saying, well, then I have to exercise and I have to eat better. And there are other things that I have to do that connect to this that is already present. This choice leads to other choices. And I learned something about the choices that we make. This is the next thing you note, that most of the choices that lead to better outcomes are difficult. Most of the choices that lead to better outcomes in life are difficult. It is a lot more difficult to have a budget and live by a budget than it is to not worry about money and get yourself in debt. It is a lot more difficult to do that. Have you ever noticed how easy it is to gain weight? Anybody in here? And how hard it is to get rid of that junk. It is easy to be unhealthy. It's easy. But there's something about healthy. Healthy always costs something. You ever notice that? It doesn't matter if you want to be emotionally healthy, financially healthy, spiritually healthy or physically healthy. It doesn't matter what dimension we're talking about in life. If you want to be healthy, it will cost you something. But I realized something for me personally out of my journey for physical fitness, which I'm not at the end of this thing. I'm just kind of in the middle of it at this point. I realized that you have to choose which kind of pain you want. Because healthy is painful up front, but unhealthy is painful on the back end of the journey. They're both painful. You just have to choose which pain you want. So the choices that lead to better outcomes are difficult. And then this, it's not enough to just make one decision. You have to make thousands of them. See, in our culture, we want to fix problems through intensity. Which is why the average gym in the United States will sell over 50% of their yearly memberships in the next three to four weeks. And those people, on average, that buy a year membership will come in between five and ten times. That's it. Why? Because we believe that we can solve a problem that it took us years to create in just a few days. It's why you can walk into Walmart and look at shelves filled with diet pills and go into GNC and see shelves filled with diet pills where they supposedly serve up a silver bullet to your long-term problem. See, we want the same thing for our marriages. When our marriage gets in trouble, we want the silver bullet to fix it. We want the same thing for our hearts. When our, when our souls get into a bad situation, we want the silver bullet that can fix it. But the problem is, is that most problems are not fixed through intensity. They're fixed through consistency. 
And it is not the intensity that matters as much as it is the consistency. And I think that this is exactly why in Matthew 18, Jesus is asked, how, how much should we forgive? When someone has sinned against us, how much should we, where is the boundary of forgiveness? And he says, so you, you've heard me teach this before. It's 70 times 7. That's how many times you should, which is a lot of sinning, right? There's, I, don't, I don't really know that I have a friend that has sinned against me that much or anybody that I know that has sinned against me. And Jesus is leveraging that in one day in the Gospel of Luke. Adds the, the, the phrase, in one day. That's how much you should forgive. I, I think what Jesus is saying is, listen, forgiveness is an act not of intensity but of consistency. It is something that you will not only have to decide to do one time but a thousand you will have to forgive over and over. And when, every time that memory comes up, I forgive you. I forgive you. I forgive you. I'm not. I'm letting go of it. I forgive you. Because healthy is not born out of one decision, but, but one of thousands of decisions. And so to make a positive change, we often have to make a difficult choice. I mean, for many of us, here's the, the, the problem with desiring change. Most of you in here are already living your lives at 100% capacity. And so you say, as a New Year's resolution, I want to get healthier physically. I want, I want to be more intentionally spiritually. You, you say all these things, but then what happens is, is that you actually make no adjustments to the way that you're living. You just try to add something else into your life. John Acuff, who's a writer with the Ramsey Group, did a year-long study on over 1,000 people who made New Year's resolutions. He just wrote this book called Finish, which is amazing, but it's a statistical analysis of goal winners, people who complete goals. And one of the things they said is that they, people who complete goals recognize that if I'm going to add this into my life, then I have to make the difficult decision of removing something else. In the book, he tells a story of, of a mom, who, a single mom, who said, I wanted to get more physically healthy. And she said that I realized within the first few days that I couldn't get phys spend time going to the gym and, and cooking healthier meals and keep doing everything that I'd been doing. So I made a decision that I'm not doing laundry anymore. We're, we're, just, we're just, the laundry's going on when it's, when it's washed. It's going on the couch. You just find your clean underwear. That's how it's going to work from here on out. Not folding any more laundry. In several nights of the week, kids, you're just getting chicken nuggets, okay? That's all you're getting, chicken nuggets and fries because it's easy. Breakfast for dinner, right? Because that's, <laughs> that's the parent's way of, like, getting out of cooking a big meal, right? Oh, we're going to cook you some eggs, <laughs> Right? So she made this decision that there were things that I'm going to adjust so that I can do this. And we have to make those difficult decisions. It really comes down to two questions when it, you're navigating the way you're going to live. Your, the first one is what are you willing to do? What are you willing to do? In life, what are you willing to do? 
What, what are the things in the next year that you would say, I, I want this, I want this, I want this. But oftentimes, the more telling question is, what are you not willing to do? A, a few nights ago, my, my wife and I went out on a date. Um, and, and my family's been sick ever since because apparently that night the stomach bug decided to hit our kids while we asked somebody else to watch them. So then their whole family got sick. It was just a nasty week at around our house, okay? So we were sitting there before all the chaos hit, and I asked her this question. Looking back over the last year and looking into the next year, what are you not willing to continue doing? Like, I don't want that anymore. I don't want that in my life. For some of you, it might be I'm tired of being afraid. For some of you, it might be I'm tired of getting to the end of the month and feeling like I have no idea where the money's going to come from for us to buy groceries. For some of you, it is I am tired of being tired. What are you not willing to do? See, the entire time that I was on that journey, I was learning about choices. And so it was pretty evident to me that when something inside wasn't right, that it wasn't like a sickness, it was a choice. There was a choice or a series of choices that I wasn't making. And it needed to be addressed. Now, before we kind of get into addressing this, I have to kind of build a, a, an awareness. And so I'm going to go to the end of 1 Thessalonians and read because I want you to see who you are. Because you have to understand who you are, who we are, how God designed us and made us before you can start to see the solution to this problem. This is Paul writing to the church in Thessalonica. This is kind of his closing to this book. Now, may the God of peace make you holy in every way. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. Now, keep that verse up there. In Genesis chapter 1, um, the Bible records that when God made man, he said, let us make man in our image. And we know as believers that God has chosen to let us see him through three distinctly different personalities, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And in the same way, as the Apostle Paul points out here, we are not simply a body. There is more to us. So I'd like to do a little whiteboard to kind of illustrate this for you. You see, we often talk about our physical bodies, right? Don't you like that guy? It's just perfect illustration of a physical body, right? Um, a physical, but we talk about our physical bodies. And if you're honest, the culture that we live in is almost entirely focused on our physical existence. This is what we eat drink, where we spend our evenings and who our earthly relationships are with and what kind of job we have and house we have and what kind of car we drive, all of these sorts of things that contribute to our physical existence. And we talk a lot about physical discipline, 
the disciplines that are associated with how we take care of our bodies and preserve our health. But you are not simply a physical body. You are also spirit, which is eternal. Made in the image of God, this portion of you that will last forever. And in that spirit, you have the capacity to choose to do things that are spiritual. And we talk about this. One of my favorite books in eternity is a, a book by Richard Foster called The Spiritual or, or the, the Celebration of Discipline, in which he kind of goes through the, the classic spiritual disciplines. This is a beautiful book of worship and meditation, prayer and fasting, and all of these things that we recognize that when we do them, even though we may be doing them with our physical presence, there is a spiritual awareness that is born out of this. This is a spiritual activity. And if you've grown up in church or been around the church for a while, you've heard us talk about the disciplines of our physical body and our spirit. But I, I, I need you to know that that's not all you are. You are also a soul. And the best way to explain your soul is the soul is the root of your emotions, the origin of your being. And as I began to reflect on what was going on inside of me, this became apparent. That we spend a lot of time talking about the choices we make with our physical bodies and spiritual lives. But we seem to be vaguely unaware that we can choose a different condition for our souls. Because there's far too many of us in this room who have sacrificed our soul on the altar of getting things done and being somebody that the world has told you that you need to be. And somewhere along the way, I recognized that it was, I was healthier than I'd ever been. Spiritually, I was consistent with where I have been. But the problem was in my soul. So I'm going to take you to Galatians 5. And I'm going to walk you through kind of the opening of this series. Because I want you to see what the Apostle Paul shows us. This is a profound truth. In Galatians chapter 5, he opens up this chapter with this verse. Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up in slavery to the law. Now, I think this is such an interesting thing because he doesn't say get tied up again to slavery to sin. 
Now, he's talking about an issue in this chapter that I'm just going to leave unnamed, but it has to do with something that we do little boys right after they're, they're born. Some families choose to, some families don't. And, and at this stage, they were talking about doing this to grown men, which is a totally different conversation, right? Um, but he but he's, doesn't say that Christ has set you free so that you will no longer be bound to Sin, he says, no, you will no longer be bound to the law, which lets me know something about freedom. The entire purpose of freedom is to give us a choice. The entire purpose of the freedom that Jesus purchased is to give us a choice. The problem with many of us is we don't like that. As a matter of fact, We would love it if God would take the choice away. And he would just allow life to be predefined and preset if I could just be pre-programmed to do everything that's right. But that's not how it works. Christ set you free, purchased your freedom simply to give you a choice. So he continues on. This is verse 13, a little bit further into the chapter. For you have been called to live in freedom my brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. Which lets me know something. If you're going to live right, you're going to always live in the tension of choice. We're always going to live in the tension of choice. This is why he says, I don't want you to be bound to the law anymore. Because there are a lot of Christians that are bound to the law. They are not free. They are living in a system that says, you better get up every morning and have your five-minute devotional. You better do this, you better do this, and you need to do this, and you don't need to do this, and you don't need to do this, and you need to do this. And that's a system of law. But if you're going to live right, you're always going to live in the tension of choice. But he gives us this warning. That is an awesome ringtone. I just want you to know that. For a future reference, it doesn't get much better than that at all. So if we're going to live right, we're always going to live in the tension of choice, being able to choose between. But he lets us know that we can use our freedom to choose sin. We can use our freedom to choose sin. Now, that doesn't mean that sin, because we've been set free, is now right. As a matter of fact, sin is still sin. It still carries with it the wages of sin is death. And so when we choose to uh, allow our freedom to entice us to sin, what happens is that we open the door to sin and, and death and all of its brothers and sisters that come with that. All right? It's, we can use our freedom to do that. Which is why he continues on. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. For when you desire, for when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Now he's going to describe what happens when we choose sin. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, dissension, division, enviness, or envy, drunkenness, and wild parties, and other sins like these. I think I missed a whole line in there. 
sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition. So let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living this sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, the tough thing about this verse is that he's describing what happens when we choose sin. And obviously there are some things in there that we have classically identified, drunkenness, wild parties, that sort of thing. But do you notice that he drops in there jealousy and envy? How many of y'all recognize that? Man, most of us in our culture struggle with those things. I mean, there's so much studies that, that are pointing out that, that our use of social media is almost correlates to our level of envy of other people's lives because all people do on social media is share the best portions of their lives. And we look at it and we think, I want their marriage or I want their finances. or I want, And, and it leads to envy and jealousy. He opens that by saying, no, let the Holy Spirit lead you. Because if these things become a part of your life, if this evidence starts to poke out and starts to show itself in your life, the the problem at the end of this is that you cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And when we talk about the kingdom of God, we often talk about the church and the organization of the redemptive work on the earth. But I want you to understand something about the kingdom of God. And we see this in Romans 14, 17, where it says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking. Not a physical act, not a gathering, but it is a matter of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. See, the kingdom of God is an internal reality that shapes our present lives. It's an internal reality. And in Galatians 5, the Apostle Paul teaches us that if we choose to take freedom and leverage it to follow sin and to engage in what we desire sinfully, then the problem then becomes that we no longer internally engage in the life that God wants us to live. There's a consequence internally to it. And then he wraps up, The whole chapter, this idea with this verse that really, as we go through it throughout this series, I'm I'm praying that you can see that God has enabled you to live a life that is far beyond what you're living right now. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Let's just stop there and just say this. Fruit has to grow. Fruit is not a silver bullet. There are a thousand decisions that have to be made to grow fruit. You have to choose to plant the seeds. You have to choose to water the ground. You have to choose to tend the plant. You have to choose, you have to choose, you have to choose. There are a thousand decisions that nurture that choice. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law 
against these things. Now remember, he opened this by saying, I don't want you to be slaves to the law. But he goes, now, there's no law against these things. This is what your life is supposed to look like. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. This is what your life is supposed to look like. This is what Jesus bought for you. But how many of y'all look at that list and go, my life is so much farther down the rung, down the ladder from that standard of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control. You just look at it and go, I'm not there. But he purchased that for you. And he purchased that for me. And so as I began to pray over this and think about it, I started to realize something about our lives. It's this, that spiritual decisions that we make enable us in our souls to make other decisions that then enable us in our physical existence to make other decisions. This opens the door to this that opens the door to this. I wanted to kind of help you understand what your soul is, and I don't know that this is the best example, but it's really the example that I got for you because of the week that we had at our house. That I think that a lot of times our souls are a lot like our stomachs. Kind of in the middle of the process. They're in between what we consume and then what we release. And I don't know if y'all have ever had the stomach bug. I'll just tell you right now, it's not fun. <laughs> if something goes wrong in your stomach, it is not good in either direction. <laughs> In either direction. And what happens is that for many of us, we haven't lived this way. The way we've lived is this way. That we have sought first what our physical bodies and our physical desires are. And what happens is those arrows reverse. That when you start to live that way, it inevitably forces decisions in your soul that begin to have long-term lasting effects on you spiritually. See, the spiritual decisions and choices we make enable us to make other choices. The spiritual decisions we make enable us to make other choices. Because that whole list that the Apostle Paul drops in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, as he describes the fruit of the Spirit, is a list of choices that you, through the freedom of God, have been set free to make. When you live a life that follows the Holy Spirit. That's what love is. Love is a decision. That's what joy is. Joy is a decision. Patience is a decision. All of that is a decision. And it is a decision that comes in the wake of choosing Jesus. 
So the last thing in your notes today is that when we choose Jesus, to choose Jesus is to choose love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. See, there's some of you that have a thousand reasons why you can't be joyful. You have a thousand reasons why you can't be patient. There are people that you can give me a long list why you're not going to be kind to them. But there's always one reason to choose those. It's Jesus. Because when you choose to be joyful, it's choosing Jesus. When you choose to be patient, it's choosing Jesus. When you choose to be loving, it's choosing Jesus. When you choose to be gentle, it's choosing Jesus. Because to choose those things is really to choose Jesus. And so for the next four weeks, we're going to examine those choices. What does it mean to choose love? What does it mean to choose joy? What does it mean to choose to be patient? My wife, every week I preach something and we have a test at home. It's just God takes us. She told me I couldn't stay at home the week that I preach on patience. Right? You just have to go live with your parents for a week or something. (laughs) And then what does it mean to live self-controlled? We're going to ask those questions over the next four. I promise you, there are not any better questions to open a year that we could ask. It's going to be one of those series that I believe it's going to be eye-opening because so many times we misdiagnose affection as love. That's not love. Affection is not love. So many times we misdiagnose happiness as joy. Happiness is not joy. They are decisions that we have been bought to make. Jesus has purchased it. He already paid the price. When he went to Calvary, he took the punishment of your sins and my sins. He's already paid the price. He paid for you to live with love. He paid for you to live with joy. He's paid for you to have patience. He's paid for you to be able to be kind to people who have hurt you. He's paid the price for you to live with self-control. He's already bought those for you. So what we want is for you to get everything that Jesus paid for. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.